the story of a boy who dreamed of becoming a man, but dreamed up a monster instead. It has hunted you since the summer of 1994, back when we confessed who we were through mixtapes, when every movie at the video store had dirty heads. You were 13 and thought you knew who you were, only the shadow with too many teeth knew you better. It still does, and it won't stop, not until you come home, back to where it all began. Part cosmic horror, part coming of age story, Dirty Heads is a terrifying read from the author of House of Size, The Fallen Boys, and A Place for Sinners, out now. Tour Nightfire, publisher of Dark Stars, New Tales of Darkest Star, a novelette collection edited by John F.D. Taff. Dark Stars features 12 brand new stories showcasing today's top horror talent, from award winners and new voices like Stephen Graham Jones, Priya Sharma, Usman T. Malik, Caroline Kepnes, and Alma Katsu. Dark Stars is an homage to the classic horror anthology Dark Forces, edited by Kirby McCauley. All you have to do is sign up for Nightfire's monthly newsletter and follow them on social media. At Tor Nightfire on social and tornightfire.com. From the host of This Is Horror Podcast comes a dark thriller of obsession, paranoia, and voyeurism. After relocating to a small coastal town, Brian discovers a hole that gazes into his neighbor's bedroom. Every night she dances and he peeps. Same song, same time, same wild and mesmerizing dance. But soon Brian suspects he's not the only one watching and she's not the only one being watched. They're watching is the Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. They're Watching by Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella is available from thisishorror.co.uk, Amazon, and wherever good books are sold. Welcome to Deadheads. What's up? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying. No, that's I all had, good. I had one creepy ass message. So I thought you look like my sister. You're real pretty. I'm like, Jesus, man. Oh, dear. Right. There's so, a lot in there. And <laughs> <laughs> delete. So much to unfold. Let's get started again. Uh, I'm getting silly. Welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan Lafaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are joined by illustrator, author, amongst many, many things that we'll touch on later, uh, L.M. Labot. Say hi. Hey, how you doing? And uh, you know what? You're like I said, you're into a whole lot of neat things and they're all they're like all interwoven in, in just a horrifically beautiful way. So in general, what got you into horror? Oh, man. So <laughs> when I was little, you know, 
I like one of the first movies I was watching was a nightmare on Elm street. And I mean, when I was little, like, like a six years old, seven years old, I was watching like stigmata and the devil's advocate and things with my mom in the room. And it was just so interesting. And once I saw horror movies, like a lot of other things went boring. I'm just like, no one's going to get got what's going on. You know, you're just talking like, what's with the bud, you know? So, but my family always told me like, you know, this is a movie, this is fake, you know, this is not real life. So they set that boundary with me mentally, you know, so cause I'm afraid I was going to get screwed up or something, but I loved horror. So, and then my aunt was always in medicine. She was like, you know, a, an RN, um, got her BSN. And now she's like a doctorate of nursing practice in the psychiatric field. And there's just tons of books, just biology like even like i think i got some old ones like i mean some of these books are damn near falling apart i love that shit that's so yeah so is that like is that tax sorry for cutting you off is that tax for for students that have uh for for medicinal purposes oh yeah and like they have like all of her old places where she highlighted in here and stuff and i just drew so I drew from the books. I drew all the illustrations. I liked the way all the sinews and stuff looked. And when I saw horror movies, I was like, it don't look like that in real life. So I'm like, oh, what did they do? So it got me interested. And I was always good in art. My mom encouraged artwork since the beginning. She would put butcher paper on the wall and I would just go to town and scribble <laughs> and go from there. But Horror was fascinating from the general, not just because of how the bodies got contorted or how, you know, the blood looked or just the scenery in general, because it could be funny or it could be really, really tense. So you could do a lot of stuff with horror. <laughs> yeah. Tons of stuff. You know, um, it could be. Bre- Brennan, uh, I just got to jump in and say one thing. I instantly connect your. Um, your artwork with one of my favorite humans. And if I were to go back in time, this would probably be the person I'd want to meet. Uh, that's uh, Leonardo da Vinci, your artwork. Oh, thank you. I mean, like for real, I look at your uh, anatomical drawings and it's just like the style. Um, just, I, I'm not really good at describing beyond that. Uh, they are t- the, the artsy uh, terminology, but it just reminds me of his work. And I'm curious if you're someone, is he someone that you maybe looked into his artwork or, or are you interested? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, definitely. Like his, like his drawings on like, like the embryos inside, like the placentas and stuff. Mm. And then, the you know, um, medicine, like, you know, with a man in the wheel all that stuff, his flying inventions, they're so detailed and they're so like wonderfully put together. It just, it attracted my attention. Um, I also loved um, other artists and I love all, all ranges of art from anime. I love Junji Ito. Junji Ito's work is great. I have some of his t-shirts and I can't wait for Uzumaki to come out. That's awesome. But um with artwork, I just kept going and going and going. And I would draw every day because my artwork actually became a coping mechanism. So when I, and another reason why I was interested in medicines, because since I was eight, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune deficiency. You know, I call chronic plaque psoriasis. So for the, for 19 years, until I found an actual competent doctor, I was trapped in my own skin. I mean, if I was the way I was about five years ago, we would be seeing just blood and blisters all over my eyes and my face. So I couldn't escape it. And, you know, when you grow up like that, 
and you have surrounded by people, it's kind of like a Mary Shelley Frankenstein thing. The first emotion I really understood was rejection. That's so sad. But it helped me, you know, in the long run, it helped me. So I focused on my craft. I focused on drawing. I got better and better and better. And I used that outlet to do something productive. So, you know, the world doesn't like me. I'm going to make my own world that I like. And that's beautiful. Brennan, jump in. <laughs> I, I, I'm pro- I'm paraphrasing. So forgive me if I uh, am, am completely botching your intentions. But, you know, in your um, biography at the end of the book, you know, you had kind of hinted that you really lost yourself in both artwork and writing in order to deal with the the bullying, for lack of better words, the the fact that kids aren't always nice to, you know, what's different around them. Um, and here's where the paraphrasing comes in, that you would almost kind of like take out your aggression on the people who hurt you through that art. Like, and and as writers, we talk about that all the time. Like, you know, fuck this guy. I'm going to put him in a story and I'm going to, I'm going to tear his damn head off. So yeah. I, I'd love to hear a little bit of that from your perspective. Yeah. You know, I mean, can't go to jail for what's in your head. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just saying. So, you know, somebody, somebody makes fun of you. Somebody says something, says your name out of place. You know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna try to be the bigger person about this. Just leave it alone. I don't want it to ask like, I'm gonna fuck you up later. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I remember your face. Yep. So, and then you could take that face and you could do whatever you want with it. You know, smash it under a tire, curb stomp it, and it's great. And you can illustrate <laughs> all you want. They can't stop you for shit. What are you going to do? Come to my house and kick my ass? I dare you. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's funny. That's kind of how right before, like maybe a year before I met my wife, which is when I started reading again. But um, right before that, I mean, I've always written. It's just that the whole focusing on the structure and the, the basics weren't there until I met her who kind of rewired me to focus on reading and all that. But um, I bring this up because there at that point, like, like I said, a year before I met her, um, I had a lot of toxic people from drugs to uh, emotional and mental abuse from a friend that wasn't a good friend to just a lot of bad people in my life um and i took it out in writing and i i've I've put them through torture and hell and you know what i felt better so i can i bring that up solely because i can relate and uh i don't think that if if i was a younger writer i try to bring that up as often as i can thinking if i was a young kid because i mean most of us writers we we started when we were young, but if you hear an older writers, you know, older people that you may look up to talk about this. Um, I hope that at least one person out there doesn't feel bad for feeling that way because angry is a healthy uh, emotion. You just, how like we handled it. Like you, I'm a big guy. I don't fight like you. I, the way you talk, I don't want to piss you off, you know, like <laughs> there are so many bad ways to take out anger and confusion and shit. And the way that we handle it, I think that that is something that should be kind of talked about every now and then. Brennan, I don't know where I end this topic. So jump in, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that's, you know, like you said, it's a completely necessary part of, uh, you know, kind of helping you to become 
who who you are really. Um, and I did want to jump back and comment real quick. You were talking about, you know, using textbooks to kind of learn how to draw um, and then almost kind of, for lack of better words, dissecting, you know, what, what, you know, the bodies and the tendons and stuff looked like versus, you know, what you would see from like, say the practical effects of a horror movie and, you know, almost kind of finding your voice for lack of better words, your, your artistic, um, there's gotta be a word for voice and I'm just missing it, but you know, your style basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, now you mentioned that your mom was a big influence on, you know, getting you to kind of get your art out. But uh, you also had a teacher who was, you know, big, big, big. And I'd love to hear a little more about that. Oh, God. Yeah. So David Pearson was his name. And he was um, in the army. He was stationed in Germany after the war. Um, For what I remember him telling me, he was like 15 plus years as an editor and he became a teacher. And this guy was phenomenal. I mean, like in the class, he never taught from a textbook. He always taught us essays every single day. We would do 25 essays, handwritten, double space, in ink, in cursive, 25 rewrites. And we could not scratch out. We had to white out. And it would just be doing over and over and over again. It was just drilling into our heads. So if it wasn't for him... I would have never, ever understood the actual foundations of writing or like creating essay. He could teach you how to make an essay in less than 25, 30 minutes and just have everything done. And all you got to do is polish it after. This guy was like God level. Really, <laughs> it was great. Wow. And he like um, what he did is that when I was in school, I was making my book. I started writing the Sanguinarian Id actually from a poem. So the poem that's in the beginning of the book is actually, that was the original one. And then I built the story off from that poem and went from there. Wow. And I made the Sanguinarian Id in my senior year of high school. I made uh, three or four books in the series since then. I got published in 2016 at the senior year of college. And David he would let me come to his office during lunchtime where I would read pages from my manuscript and he would be there doing his like, you know, lessons. And he'll be like, Nope, start from again, do it again. (laughs) Like, Nope, go over it. And, and I would ask him like, you know, is this really going to work? And he said, I wouldn't be here giving you my time if I didn't think that it was worth it. And he said, what you have here is publishable. And he unfortunately died. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was a good friend and he was a mentor. I never really had like a, like a dad figure growing up, but he was definitely one of them. And then in college, I met Charles Gramlich and Charles Gramlich also is a horror author and a vampire author. And he's a psychology professor. This guy is a wizard. I mean, neuroscience, neuro, all that stuff. He's just wonderful. PhD brain, you know, capstone learning statistics. He's great. And he wrote a book on writing in psychology. I got one. I was the highest grade in his writing in psychology class. So I learned how to write MLA, APA format, scientific writing, things like that. But I asked him, and I found out he was a horror author. I'm like, hello, sir. I have this manuscript. Can you help me, please? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yeah, sure. And he's the sweetest guy. He's the sweetest guy. And when you see him, it's like everybody else is wearing suits and stuff with their little bow ties and everything, looking all sharp. And he comes in with his like really long hair and a ponytail and a T-shirt and jeans. I'm like, 
that's my dude. So <laughs> it was great. And he read it, gave me some more information, helped me like, you know, understand more about it, polish it up. And he gave me a list of publishers and he was like, you know what? Um, you, cause I kept going after publisher, after publisher, after publisher. And like, I got like over 44 rejections. And, you know, when you turn in something, it's like, oh, if we're interested, we're going to send you something in six to eight months, maybe, you know, and then like three years later, you get something that's like rejected. I'm already published, jackass, you know, but anyway, <laughs> so when I talked to him, he was like, you're going after all the wrong people. We like start going after small publishers, you know, most likely they'll respect your work more and you can get a better vibe with them. And I did. And I connected with Night to Dawn Books and Publishing up in Abington, Pennsylvania. And I mean, that publishing house has been great to me. They've been understanding. They've been kind. And I've heard tons of horror stories of when, you know, somebody submits their work and everybody wants to change the character, change the name or, you know, flip manuscripts around and things like that. And I'm what like, the fuck, really? that's, not, oh, that's not okay. It's, it's not okay. But oh. this publishing house, like, you know, they really respected my work. And when I showed them my artwork, I was like, Hey, can I do the cover art for my book and the illustrations? Maybe. And they were like, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. So it's been awesome ever since. And, you know, the owner, Barbara uh, Custer, she's a wonderful, wonderful person to work with. Wonderful. So I got to go back. There's so much to tackle with this. So your first mentor, I'm, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth that the second teacher was your mentor too, but sound like that. Yeah, they both were, they, they both definitely were mentors in their own significant way. Okay, so Dave, was David, uh, you said, in World War II? It was after, I believe he was stationed after World War II was over because he told me all kinds of things about how he was um, in Germany um, as a soldier and he knew friends that got Dear John letters. So that was so, interesting. So we're talking the period that I love that period because I'm studying big time on the Korean War. I'm not going to bore you with any more beyond that, but it's a really interesting time. So we're talking about a guy that is in this place that got turned on its ass over the period of, uh, you know, 10 years from the thirties to the forties. And now he sees the the ruins because the German people, I'm, I'm probably not telling you anything new, but for any fellow historian dorks like us that the, you know, Germany was, they were impoverished at one point, they had nothing. And I, can't even imagine what that's like just being in this place that was so flipped around in, in the 20th century, you know, it, I bet that guy had stories. So um, I'm bringing all this up because I'm interested if there's, if there's one or two stories you feel comfortable are interested in talking about, would you feel comfortable talking about anything he, he imparted on you as far as like historical stuff that we might find interesting? Historical stuff. Um, he went. It's, it wasn't really a lot of historical stuff. It was a lot of like things that he told us, in like the army and things that he would do. Like one time, he almost got his ass kicked by one of his uh, supervisors because like he always saw in movies how when people throw the grenade, they take the grenade, they take the pin out, and then they kiss the grenade and throw it. And he went to oh. go and they go like, "Don't throw it, to jackass! Just fucking throw it!" <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> When he was, um, and then he told me, like, so when he was a little kid, how he jumped off, I think it was like a two and a half or like three story bleacher 
for like a nickel. And all he did was broke his ankles. <laughs> So he would tell awesome. stories like that. And on top of this, he was a major Shakespearean just fanatic. He loved Shakespeare so much. And he had the Shakespeare Club. And I was a part of the Shakespeare Club. So out of the, I read 27 plays of Shakespeare um, out of the collection of them. And the way he would dissect them, the way he would just explain it to us was like, it was like watching a movie. You know, you would just be hooked on it. So it was a lot of memories like that. That's really cool. And then as far as your second, I forgot his name. Um, your second. Charles Gramlich. So he wrote a book about how, was it how you study psychology? Was that it? Yeah, it was um, writing, I believe, writing in psychology. And it told about like, you know, what to look for, what to do, um, how to write in APA effectively, like, you know, not to do all this fluff and stuff like, you know, just say it because, you know, a lot of scientists, lawyers and medical professionals, they like to use big fluffy jargon. Like I disinclined to acquiesce your request, like Barbosa means fucking no. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and so he, he told us how to write straight to the point and that was fantastic because, you know, when I write and when I do novels, even though I like to get detailed with the scenery and stuff, I love dialogue driven, you know, books because it makes the read feel faster, but it's like, keeps it to the point. Yeah. Yeah. Snappy. Yeah. Brendan, you got anything before we, I would like to jump into uh, our book that we keep talking about tiptoeing around. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely agree with that. Nobody, you know, you got to set the scene, but <clears throat> nobody wants to read you dancing in circles for three pages. Uh, you know, we, we want to get to the action and we want to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it's the same so. thing like with J.R.R. Tolkien's books. I love the shit out of those books. Okay. But in honest to God, if, if the movies follow the books, movie three, we'd still be in the fucking Shire. Not going to lie. <laughs> so, you know, it's like... <laughs> He yeah, does all this uh, stuff with scenery. And then the dragon's like a couple of, oh, yeah, it's a dragon. Uh, anyway, these fucking trees, man. <laughs> <laughs> I will never, you know, because I think I, I think I saw the movies before I read the books. And I will never get over the fact that Helm's Deep is about two pages. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm still upset that Tom Bombadil wasn't in it, but that's my that's my one. That he only saved the hobbits in the Fellowship of the Rings. Like without him, they don't even make it out of that weird area out of the shy. I'm just, you know, I'm, that's my gripe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brennan, like, lead us into the talk of the Sanguinarian. In I said it right. Yes, you got it. <laughs> two for two. There you go. <laughs> Actually, LM, I'm gonna have you do the honors. Uh, I love to when when we introduce a book. Uh, I hate trying to give the synopsis because I end up either uh, spoiling it or rambling on for two hours because I don't know where to stop. So give us give us the elevator pitch. All right. So the Sanguinarian Id is a backdrop in Nazi war-torn Germany. And in this, you have a mix of infamous criminals, human traffickers, drug dealers, every basically the scum of the earth pilfering, doing whatever they want to do. They're in their damn element, just taking the world by storm. And a part of this world is the main person, the main antagonist, Mendelssohn. So Mendelssohn, no one really knows why he does what he does. It's just that he fucking loves doing it. This guy loves his job. Okay. And if you know him, it's already too late <laughs> in a sense. 
So he's touched on a lot of people's lives and he's ruined a lot of people's lives. And a lot of, you know, cities, a lot of towns are essentially in his debt. And they don't know how he knows all this stuff, but they just know. And it's not good not to piss him off. So one of the people that he did piss off is named Hale. Hale is a Damphir and in Slavic folklore, Damphir, half human, half vampire. Sometimes the species differ, but Hale underwent a transformation due to Mendelssohn's influence. So if he wouldn't have traumatized her, she, that, you know, dormant gene would have never woken up and she could have lived a normal human life, presumably, you know, and died and been happy about it. But now she has no idea why she is the way she is, why this gene woke up. Or, you know, all she knows is that you're the fucking catalyst of it. So she's on this hell-bent hunt to go and get him. And on the way, she finds all these other people who have been broken by him as well. So, and it's people from all around the globe. You know, I love vampire vampires are everywhere it's not just like you know i'm sad i'm sexy and i sparkle okay you know it's <laughs> you know it's a lot of people it's you know the gaki from japan which is sometimes like the hungry ghost or like the vampire that taints people there's the kangshi from china i know i'm butchering these names but they take like a person's life away by sucking their breath um into themselves they have the noxaher from germany that eats a part of themselves um damn fear from slavic lore um, Moroi, Strigoi. So I like to incorporate all of these different um, vampires. And then there's the Alps from Germany as well that take disguises of cute farm animals, but they will secretly and permanently will fuck you up. So, you know, but with all these things, I incorporate them into the story. And it is this journey that she goes through with these people that she gathers as a part of her personal trusted circle to find this guy and just obliterate them. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a much better synopsis than I would have given. Very nice. Uh, now, what I what I love about this is, you know, it's very easy to say it's historical fiction. It's not. Uh, it's not wrong either. It's it's a historical horror book. But the depth of folklore is really what gives it like a three-dimensional look to me. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's been done where people say, Oh, we're going to put vampires in world war two. Okay, great. But to kind of give it that almost international feel of bringing in all these different uh, you know, because like you said, they're, they're vampires from different mythologies from different places around the world, but they all operate differently. You know, they all have that kind of inherent, uh, quality that makes them, you know, part of vampire lore, but none of them operate exactly the same. And to bring them all in and, you know, uh, put them together in one story is very, very interesting. Um, I love mythology and, you know, when, when mythology kind of faces off against, uh, itself, each other's, um, that's, that really, that gets me that, that does it for me. And one thing um, connected me, you know, with the damn fear is that, like, you know, I grew up with my whole family. My whole family is like, you know, mixed race, um, black, German, Native American. And, you know, growing up in a lot of places, you know, when you're not one full of one or fully other, you know, you get a lot of horrible reactions. Some people are nice. Some people are just downright mean. Some people just shun you, isolate you. Some people are rude. I mean, from you know, racism, overt, covert, you get it. And when I read about Dan Fears, I'm like, huh, nobody likes this one either. 
<laughs> I can relate to it. So it's like you're wrong to both worlds, but a lot of people don't want you in either. So I'm like, you know, I'm gonna make my character a damn fear. And then I learned more and more about it in Slavic lore. And then that just branched out to all of these different vampires and stuff and the Nosferatu and all of these other creatures. And it was like, oh my God, there's a whole universe of these things. This is amazing. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I gotta write about it. And um, I like the idea of uh, like, a, you, you've seen the movie uh, Crimson Peak? I have not. I have not, no. Okay, so the so Crimson Peak basically there's one line of the of the of the story that's like it's not a ghost story, but it's a story. There's a ghost in it, and you know it's a because with the backdrop of World War II, it's World War. There's everybody's involved in this shit. So all this mess is going on in the background and there's these people trying to just get their shit done just to accomplish this mission. And then they have to not deal with the hazardous material and the situations and their objective. But now they got to traverse and navigate through all this shit happening in the background with the world going to hell behind them. Yeah. All right. Now I have a question, uh, but before I do it, you don't have to respond to this comment, but as far as where you ended the book, how dare you? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, go, but going back, um, I want to I wanna know a little bit about your process of taking a poem that you wrote and expanding it into, this is not a small novel. It's a, You're upwards of about 250 pages, right? Yes. Yes, mm. exactly. Exactly. And how I got to write the novel was that I was in my English class. It wasn't Mr. Pearson's class. It was another class. And we were reading about Beowulf. Um, we were reading about like old English folklore and we were learning about like wear guilds and how, you know, a person, if they were murdered uh, to my to my memory's sake, when a person was murdered, the murderer would have to pay that person's weight in gold. And then like, you know, wear and then werewolf and all these other things. And then we talked about Grendel. And we were getting it's like sanguine, sanguine, and then it was like sanguinary and someone who was bloodthirsty. And at this time, myself, I was looking at just reading about psychology and I was reading about Sigmund Freud and I learned about his personality structure with the id, the ego, the superego. And when I it was around the same time. So when I learned the word sanguinarian, bloodthirsty, sanguinarian id and id that wants blood is out for blood. That's interesting. I never would have thought of that. Uh, and in that class, like, you know, since we were reading about English folklore, we were reading about Beowulf, and then we went into Macbeth and the couplet forming poem that, you know, happens in Macbeth with the witches. I was like, oh my God, this is my jam. I could do this. So I just read, I just did a poem and I ended it with the sanguinarian id. And Pearson was just sitting there like, you got to do this, man. You got to do this. <laughs> with Beowulf. Isn't it kind of a fun idea, but also a total tease that that's like the oldest surviving piece of uh, poetry or prose that we have, but you're like, what else did they have? What did we miss? Honestly, a lot of stuff in Beowulf kind of makes me laugh a little bit, you know, because when Beowulf's fighting the damn dragon and his friend is just like sitting there like, oh my God, he's so great. And he's this muscular, he's fantastic. He's fucking dead yet. And he's he's so great. Oh my God, we should totally go and help him and save the dragon. Is he dead? Oh my God, Beowulf, you're dead. You know what it's like? (laughs) It's just what happens. So, (laughs) and I was laughing in class. People were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, this is hilarious. I want you to be my teacher. 
<laughs> like I had a teacher in English class that was this just old, decrepit old lady that just did not make anything fun. I think I blame her for not liking reading that. <laughs> That's the old Miss Havisham bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God, I was going to ask a question. Yeah, so I want to jump back jump back to the um how it is set in world germany during world war ii and you bring up himmler and i thought that was interesting because you know when you hear the question if you go back in time and who would you kill often obviously people say hitler but you kill one cockroach there's going to be others like bin laden got killed oh my god you know kim jong-un if he were to die i'm not saying i'm gonna do it north korea don't come at me but um there's going to be a replacement. You know, if Hitler dies, Himmler's probably the next guy in charge. And he's that, the- or, that or it would have been either Himmler or Reich Marshal Goring. Either way, you know, you lift up a rock, all those motherfuckers come crawling out. You know, they were I mean? all trying to kill each other and hit. But I, I say Himmler and it could be him. The other one, um, because, you know, he's the guy that designed and was in charge of all the death camps. He's, he was a sick fucker. Yep. I'm not again. I'm, I'm, that, he was a school teacher. His <laughs> career before he became that was a school teacher. So it's like, you sick motherfucker. You know, it's just, you were just laying there the whole time. Yeah. He yeah there's probably, good ones and there's bad ones. He probably, he probably, seriously, <laughs> I never knew that he was a school teacher. It's fucked up, but he probably taught some of the kids that ended up in those camps. Hitler was a, um, to, to my knowledge, Hitler was a painter. Hitler was a school teacher. Hitler tried to get into art school and Hitler actually learned. From the stuff that I've read was and the stuff that Pearson told me was he befriended a magician that actually taught him <laughs> to do all of the hand waving. It's true. He, he like all the hand waving and stuff that he does. It's like he looked at stage actors and people like that in order to capture the crowd, which is why, mm. like, you know, it became so cap it became so captivating. Yeah. You know what? Also, I forget where I heard this. Um, because anytime like the history channels on. I'm like kind of what lost into that show, but I, I did. You know, a lot of stuff that's said about World War Two. I mean, so many people write so many things, so many people document so many things that everything you read, you know, gather and you got to sift through like, you know, what's real, what's bullshit, what's this, what's that. But it's just like, fuck, I'm never going to unread this, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. One more thing about Hitler with his speeches is that he would start nice and slow and he said with the hand gestures and then eventually he would bring it up. And that was all intentional. That was to the, he was playing the audience and it he, would, he was crescendo. Yeah, and also this is a I never knew this up until maybe a month or so ago. His he uh, during World War One he had um, some mustard gas that fucked up his throat, so his voice sounded a little bit different, which was attractive to his native uh, Germans. And it's like all these little weird things build up. Going back to talk about uh, Germany's past in the 20th century, you know, after World War One, they were I like fucked. The guy- 415 sanctions against them to basically and that basically like reduced them to just like a rotting slum yeah and everybody was looking for a savior and it's just like you maniacal dirty motherfucker to take advantage of these people and just prey on them and their hopes in this time and then fuck it all up you know yeah seriously uh hitler's um inner circle it's a i don't know if you ever saw that show but it's that the one on netflix yeah 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 I have. 
I have. It's a really good one. Then the Roman Empire, which covers three different eras of that. That was really neat too. But um, it shows like Germany back right when it's bef- before all the Jews are getting taken away. It's right before then. There's all this stuff against Jewish people. And I'm just thinking like, holy fuck, if you could go back in time and witness that, like I'd be, I don't know if I'd be able to move. I'd be getting the creeps because you got these SS soldiers just beating the shit out of people. Like, what are you and supposed the thing to do? Is that they did it with a smile on their fucking face. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You see, I mean, it, it is it is so nightmarish when you see what happens when people reduce others to numbers and nothing else. You know, like it's it's crazy. Yeah, and we don't have to go into any detail about this, but there are it's there are parallels to that throughout the world, but in America, there, I mean. I'll say you guys don't have to make a comment, but I feel like that was the Trump administration and it's fucking scary. It's terrible. It's scary how many people I love. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Like, like even back in time too, like with the fucking Tuskegee experiments and stuff, just how they just like, you know, fuck your autonomy. Fuck this. You know, your benefits and everything, your health. Is, is that the guy for psychology back in the they said that they were supposed to like help a group of um, African-Americans down in the South. And instead the government was experimenting with them on fucking syphilis. Ooh, I didn't, I, I'm very unfamiliar with that. That's up. Look up the Tuskegee and what happened in Tuskegee. It's how do you spell horrible. that? Let me look it up. Tuskegee. T-U-S-K-G. No, T-U-S-K-E-G-E-E. Tuskegee. Yeah, Tuskegee syphilis study, and it's in rural. It happened in a a part of the place that happened in rural Alabama. That's fucked up. Wow, Alabama it, it explains it. Alabama. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and it just happened. Like, you know, when a group of people decide that, like, you know, this other group of people is just fucking unsavory and undesirable, people will do the most, and then you see like this evil nature that just bleeds out. And just ruins everyone's lives. Have you? I gotta just ask you this because I feel like you'd hear you have heard of this. Have you heard of the uh, back in the 1920s, a little Albert experiment? Yeah, yeah, the little Albert experiment. Yep. You're. I want you. I want you to explain that. I feel like it'd be so much more concise and out of your mouth. So, little Albert experiment back then. 19. I mean, basically, I call it 1920 bad. Because, like, Fair. in that era, <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Oh, damn. Hold on. My video is acting up. Shit. She left because of you, Brennan. I don't know. I'm not that. <laughs> my camera is acting crazy. I'm so sorry. That's fine. Wait, no continue, continue that thought. You're not the one. Oh, my God. So, the thing is, little Albert, it was uh, carried, the, the experiment was carried out by John B. Watson. And it was about conditioning. So it demonstrated different conditioning to phobias. And from what I can remember, come on, you motherfucker work. There you go. Listen to me. So, <laughs> so the thing is a little Albert, it was about conditioning. Like, you know, can you actually condition someone to have a fear of phobia? Like, you know, and this was back, I learned this back in undergraduate and stuff in psychology. So it was, and it was so heinous because like, you know, you have something white, have something like fluffy or cause like the baby's just sitting there looking at the rats, just, you know, Oh, they're rats and stuff. And then all of a sudden just make a loud noise. Just 
bang in the background and then it startled them and it'd make them cry. And every single time it would just startle them, make them cry. Rats come out, startle them, make them cry. And then it got to a point where whatever he would see the rat or see the animal or even something white and fluffy to what I can recall, he would get scared and he would just start crying. And now he associated that white fluffy creature with the loud disruptive noise that would scare him. Yeah, that's that's so fucked up. And they recorded this too. There's video of it. Oh yeah. Uh, um, I just schooled it because I didn't know what happened. I didn't know if he died an old man or whatever. Uh, he died at the age of six <laughs> due to complications of uh, encephalitis. Yeah, it's where like on your head, and fluid in your head and it swells. I feel like it's probably related to some shit he went through. And then. I don't know the experiment name. I don't know the doctor, but my wife's got a master's in social uh, work, um, social work. Wow. Why do I think that sounded weird? Um, (laughs) One of those words that you're like, that's not right. It is right. But she was telling me about different things um, as far as like what was done to kind of understand uh, that study. And I think, think it was back in the 40s there was one doctor the stuff that he would do with patients back then not a shot in hell you could get away with it it's crazy that it's only like one human lifetime ago where the yeah. shit that was tested on humans yeah on, on animal animals are don't get me started on that animals are still treated horribly and it doesn't matter to a lot of people because they're not people, but I, I just because it doesn't impact because it doesn't impact them. You know, when people mm-hmm. are like when people exist out of that cone of danger and they know that it won't impact them, that whole interest or the fear or the severity of it just goes down, you know, because in reality, a high percentage, it's not going to affect you or the people around you in your daily life. But as soon as you get into that demographic, then, you know, you're in danger. So That's now right. it's important. Um, let's talk about your artwork in uh, your book because it's, it's just. I, have some, I actually have some pieces right here. Let's see. Yeah. And uh, a lot of my stuff is uh, trashy because I like when I'm done with something, I just go, all right, it's over. So, and I work a lot in Faber-Castell pen, um, Bic ballpoint pens, the blue and the black kind. Mm. And I don't really like to work in graphite a lot because it gives like this weird metallic sheen. And sometimes it's like this layer and you got to keep on erasing. It doesn't get like clear like you wanted to after a while. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever worked in charcoal? I have. I have worked in charcoal. And honestly, sometimes when I hear that scratch against the paper, it's just like, Ugh. I'm like that with cotton. I oh, I just did it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. Dude, Brennan, do you have a, a weird sound that, that would be normal for other people, but you associate it as just torture? The sound of a person's <sighs> lips separating, like really, really close. I hate that fucking sound. Oh, like, you know, John Goodman in, in Cloverfield Lane, you could hear everything. And it's like the grossest ASMR ever. <laughs> Every Wait, lip so, smack. Yes. God. Uh, I got a question. Pass if you want. Cut this if you want. I'm seriously curious. Like, what happens if you're if you want to kiss someone? Do you get like back because, up? Like, because like it's a like a pucker thing. You don't really hear anything, but it's like 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 when people are chewing food or smacking gum. Or okay, right? it's like that cotton mouth thing. It's like mm. I'm with you. Yeah. Right, what's what's your sound? You got to have one. 
Oh, see, I, 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 off the top of my head, I can't come up with anything, but like now you got me thinking about cotton. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so good. No good. You know, All it's right. funny though, how you can interpret like things differently. Cause I totally get that. And I, I can absolutely imagine that, that, uh, choice, uh, to almost kind of highlight those sounds coming out of John Goodman, uh, in that movie <laughs> were intentional, you know, he was great, man. Oh my yeah. God. Have yeah. you seen him in red state? Sorry to jump to something random, but no, I haven't. No. I haven't. Kevin Smith movie. It's, it's horror. It's real quick. It's based off of the West Baptist church. Those sick fuckers that just they go against the FBI in a standoff scenario. Goodman's in it. Skinny John Goodman's in it. <laughs> and it's just, it's it's it, it's Kevin Smith, but nothing against him would never know it. Gotcha. So mm. yeah, sorry, I knew uh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, I was just gonna say that, like, you know, I, I can imagine them using that to kind of build character in that movie. But and this is going to sound so terrible, but my mom does that. Like whenever she's about to talk, she like smacks her lips before she goes. So I almost it's funny because I think of it as an endearing trait. And I I just uh, handed a book in where I have this kindly old woman character who I want the reader to get along with. And I have her doing the same thing, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and it's, again, she starts- it's like, you know, conditioning, like, you know, what you're associated mm-hmm. with. And so you associate the sound with your mother. I associate the sound with like, you know, sick patients and stuff. So it's like. <laughs> It's true because when I, I used to, because the thing is, I, I used just to work, the, his mom, his mom's uh, no, the thing is that I used to work on like an inpatient unit for like, like psychiatric units. So I would be like Ooh. in, yeah. So I would be in uh night shift from 7 PM to 7 AM. And we would get all kinds of people, like people like trying to eat period blood off of the floor, people like in their beds, having drug overdose, getting detox. So the sound you hear, it's like, okay. Yeah. No, you, you, you gotta have a list of things that you can't tolerate. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me, we gotta get back to your illustrations, but okay. you, in, in some ways <laughs> I'm getting, uh, vibes of Aaron Dries and S.A. Cosby. Um, it's wonderful. I love it. So your illustrations. Oh yeah. Okay. So this one, is one of them. God damn, that's good. <laughs> and you could kind of see the reflective ink from the big pen. I actually drew this one on the psych on the psych unit one time during a shift because we would have like rounds where we would do suicide rounds and we would check every 15 minutes and like to see if a person was trying to commit suicide or not. So in between those rounds, like, okay, your turn. Okay, your turn. Now we just go and draw and go and draw because it's a 12 hour shift, you know, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, let's see. And there's this one. Oh, I love that. That's so good. I love the shading on the back behind the arm. Thank you. Did you teach yourself how to draw? Or a lot of stuff was self-taught. Um, like I gotta let's see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some more over here, but I graduated with an undergrad in two degrees, uh, bachelor's in art and art, bachelor's of science and psychology with a biology minor. And I did cum laude in both. So before I got into college, I was teaching myself how to draw, like, you know, draw the books and stuff. When I got there, like my graphic design teacher, um, Cheryl LeCobb, LeCabe, she actually taught me how to use the computer, use graphic design to format everything for submission because they'll, because they could teach you how to draw, but a lot of people won't tell you the business aspect of it and Mm -hmm. how to have it ready. So like, you know, what to calibrate it as, 
If it's supposed to be in CNYK, is it supposed to be in RGB? Do they want PDF format? How do you do that? How do you make it confidential? So that stuff she taught me with and, you know, how to use all the different programs and stuff. So thank God for that. Yeah. Let's see, there's this. And then sometimes I would just, I would just do like regular shit. So it would be like on regular pieces of paper. So this is just like lined paper. It would start out with something like that. And then I would go and redo it and do the shading. And it would go like that. Wow. Very cool. Audio audio listeners, uh, you got to go to the YouTube. Watch the video. (laughs) Yeah, watch the video, motherfuckers. So. Would it help if I describe? Because oh, I'm trying to figure out how I would describe. It's like, it's this big fucking sure. thing. Yeah, watch the video. <laughs> oh, that, one, that one's got some barker to it. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let me describe it. So we got a bunch of different eyeballs. One looks like it's got goo coming out, but it looks like the tentacles of a, a jellyfish. There's another one looking up, and it could be blood or could be tears either one i'd probably be crying if my eyes were getting ripped like that there's a lot of eyes (laughs) (laughs) now real quick so so for people who are stuck on uh on on audio can they see some of this stuff on your website lm um see some of my original drawings from the first book because the first book is out on um amazon that one that was Mm -hmm. published in 2016 that has a lot of the medical more all every book is going to have medical drawings in it or like some type of illustration like that so some of the stuff on my website um lmlabot.com is going to have some things in the gallery but in the books you can see it as well but this is some stuff that's so cool that's the shit that I'm talking about that reminds me of uh, yeah. Da Vinci. I know Da Vinci tackled a lot of things, but like that is, you're the only artist I've referred to as that. Cause, Thank you. I mean, look at it. Compare it. Seriously, put that. This, was, this one's kind of Cronenberg ish. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> that Holy is awesome. Shit. What is that? A crow and a. <laughs> Crow's a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to describe it. (laughs) It's a bird. Wow. Oh, I love the coloring in that one. Thank you. And then this one was an, this is actually an elk heart. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? It's like one's in an elk. The fish. (laughs) There you go. So it's like one's in the, one's tastier. But this one is. Uh, I'm fucked up. Anyway. <laughs> Are you talking about the chambers? Is that what you pointed to? Yeah, the channel, like the different um ventricles and the um arterioles. I think you're too smart for me. <laughs> so medical. So again, this is how. So wow. this one is a sketch of Mendelssohn. Very very rough sketch of Mendelssohn. Oh, yeah. I thought he was bald for some reason. <laughs> Unless you know. That. I don't know why. It's just like they, it's so, for some reason, Jeff Bezos. It's like associated, like you know, yes. massive yes. with bald. It's just. I, like, you know, I, I thought it was a creepy ass bald white guy. Huh? <laughs> he kind of really? looks like Jack Ketchum. <laughs> Not the, the yeah. Okay. The Brennan's referring to the illustration. Not my yes. description. That does no. look like that does look like Dallas. That that's really cool. And then this one actually was a first drawing of my t-shirt design because I actually have a t-shirt. Lobotomy, right? That's the brand. Well, this was my first t-shirt. Uh, mm-hmm. 
like for the Sanguinarian id, because I wanted like to prototype some stuff. So I had this one on Shark Robot, but, you know, I decided like, nope. So I'm going to go make another one. Was that Jeremy? Yeah. Yeah, Dendai, uh, Toten, right, and Schnell. So the dead travel fast. It's like a homage to the Bram Stoker Dracula thing. Oh, so, shit. And then this one. So I am planning on making the Sanguinarian Id into a graphic novel series because I just oh, fucking cool. love drawing this stuff. So yes. this is some of the panels, Ooh. test panels. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's all hand-drawn? All of this is in color pencil, in blue color pencil. and That is fabulous. That so my is excellent is, stuff. So the reason why everything, well, first of all, a lot of the stuff, like like I said, 2016 came out. I was going to have something in 2018, but the thing is, from 2016 to now, I've had about three near death experiences. One was a horrible reaction to amoxicillin that actually had me throwing up blood. And I had to go to the emergency room because I couldn't even swallow ice chips. So oh it was really bad. And that was in like this October 31st on Halloween mm-hmm. of all things, uh-huh. 2018. And then along with, I have a symptomatic microcytic anemia. So my blood levels dropped really fucking low. I posted one post of it on Facebook like years ago, but I had to keep going back and getting ferritin injections because it just kept fucking dropping. <laughs> and it's like, nope, this is it's getting bad. So bad. health. And then this year, no, not this year, last year on um, in April, I actually watched my father die of a hemorrhagic stroke. Oh my so sorry. Jeez. So it was so it was David dying in 2019, my father dying last year. And it was just like one hit after the other. So life, <laughs> life, yeah. life, but no words. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but, but in that stuff, fuck, that's a word. So it's, like, <laughs> it's a good one. One of my favorites. But in, but in all of it, uh, like I kept drawing, kept drawing, kept drawing as much as I could, you know, dealing with everything. But the, I want to turn into a graphic novel. Every book that I write, I want to have some kind of illustrations to it because I love the story, like scary stories to tell in the dark. I loved it. Like, you know, when you were mm. reading it and then you see something and you didn't know what page would be on, it just pop out at you. I love that shit. That'd be cool. That'd be really yeah. cool. So, you know, reading stuff like that, reading stuff like Alice in Wonderland, uh, like, you know, Treasure Island, illustrative novels. I'm like, you know, I could do this shit. So oh, yeah, you're very talented yeah. for that. Yeah. So have you ever thought of tackling uh, kids horror? Like kids horror? It's like I am actually doing a project right now with um, one doctor. She is a she, first of all, she's phenomenal. She is making uh, a series of books because she helps children with like you know human trafficking and victims of human trafficking. So you know, she's a very remarkable person, and I'm helping her doing illustrations, children's illustrations right now. But it is such a it is such like a transition from drawing this to really nice and soft and kitty. And it's like, oh, shit, I can't scare the children like this. You know, so I got to make this nice. Oh, my God. And it works. You know, it work. It takes time, but it works. So it's like switching between art styles. But with uh, going back to Mendelssohn and stuff, a lot of people like, you know, they think he's bald and stuff. But the thing is. The characters in my book, I want them to be average characters, you know, so all different kinds of body types, 
you know, balding hair, no hair, things like that. But Mendelssohn, you know, he's just this fat, jovial, approachable guy. You know, I mean, you wouldn't even blink an eye. He's just like a regular person on the subway train standing in the store and you wouldn't know anything about him. You know, you talk to him. He seems very intellectual. He's very articulate. He could carry a conversation. But the more and more and more you stand next to him, you know that something is fucking wrong. But by the time you realize that, it's already too late. Right. And those are the scariest villains is the ones that you can have a conversation with. And it's only after you're a couple minutes into it that you get that kind of tickle at the back of your neck and you realize, you know, that something is wrong here as opposed to the person you wouldn't go within 20 feet of because they have, you know, blood on their hands and (laughs) they're wearing like a black trench coat. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and the thing is that like, he doesn't wear dark clothing. He wears Mm. like, you know, nice shirts, suspenders, nice pair of slacks, you know, he dresses up nice, but he's comfortable in what he wears, you know, and he's not the like when you think of vampire, you know, villain, you think of this tall, dark, brooding, mysterious, you know, maniacal person. That's like the thing that comes to mind, ancient wisdom. But it's just this happy, fat white guy over here. You know, shit, you know, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> so what? let's talk about that ending. Like for me, my favorite part of the book was. uh if it was split into four quarters, it'd be the last quarter because that's when all the shit just gets insane. And I want to know if you knew going in that you wanted to be like, hey, here is just kidding. Read book two. Yeah, suffer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> suffer and enjoy it, people. I it's like a little, it's a little sadist part in me. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I like the Hunger Games aspect of it. <laughs> Just joking. It's not, I, I don't know if that's an insult or not. It's not meant to be, but it, it, it reminded me of the Hunger Games in some aspects where it's like, let's pair up. And now it gets Ellen Labotted. <laughs> <laughs> that's a verb now. Labotted. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually great because I actually, uh, speaking of Labotted, I actually made a, a, te- uh, a, a clothing company because, you know, make my bread and butter throughout my years. I would do logo designs for people, portraits, things like that. I would edit stuff for people. And they're like, oh, man, this is nice. I wear this on T-shirt. I'm like, fuck, it could be a T-shirt. So, like, <laughs> so I actually made my brand Lobotomy. Yeah, you got, I see you got socks. Yeah. This is a pretty, did you make that logo? Yeah, I did. So just so people can uh, hear it out, that there's a skull above this really neat. What, what kind of building is that? And why'd you pick that? Oh, just some shit. I was just wanting to see. Like, <laughs> there's no meaning. <laughs> I was just like, yes, the windows and the building. Hey, fuck it. It looks nice. All right, let's go. <laughs> I sound like one of those douchebags trying to say, well, the author picked uh, right on the curtains because uh, he just fucking liked that color. And the thing is that it's really kind of funny because, you know, a lot of writers and stuff, you know, we do when we make these characters, a lot of these characters, they're an amalgamation of a lot of things that either we love, we hate things that unnerve us, that, you know, or people we want to, you know, really that really fucked with us in our life. And we could do whatever we want in our world. You know, it's our sandbox. We could do what we please. But mm-hmm. the thing is, outside of that, like when I listen, when I make because you, you read a lot of the fight scenes. In my book, and a lot of stuff that gets bloody, people get fucked up. Yeah. During those scenes, <laughs> during those scenes, I'm listening to like "Hello, Mr. Blue Sky." 
<laughs> I mean, it's the perfect thing. You know, it's like somebody decides to go on a rampage. People start trampling over each other. Hello, Mr. Blue Sky. You know, shit's all right. Actually, in a Quentin Tarantino like movie, that'd be perfect. I uh, you know? I got one very quick story about Hello, Mr. Blue Sky. Long story short, I was in this fast lane going to work. The guy next to me thought, hey, now's a great time to merge into you. So uh, I ended up behind him. I held my damn hand on the horn for like a whole minute or two. And I'm in my head saying, you got a kid, you got a wife, <coughs> chill the fuck out. So I just blasted that song. I drove by that. I cut that fucker off and I just peeled out of there and I'm, I'm listening to that. I'm like, all right, it's kind of working. <laughs> it's, it's a weird combination. It's like, uh, I don't know if you like Tarantino, but um, Kill, I love Tarantino. Kill Bill, that fight scene with uh, a <laughs> ballroom blitz. It's just, yes. oh, that's, that's, that is kind of what I'm thinking. And I, that, love, I, love, I love this month. The first Quentin Tarantino's movie I, I saw was from Dust Till Dawn. That's a, oh, George Clooney and Tarantino. Mm. Oh, and let's not forget the uh, what sex machine. I, you seem like you're really big. Um, oh, his name is Skip. How the hell am I not thinking of uh, Tom Savini? There we go. Okay. You, you seem like you're a big Savini, Savini fan. I mean, I just like all this. You know, I, I like it when people go no holds barred, you know, with a lot of their mm. stuff. So like when I saw from dusk till dawn and everything, the bar fight scene, how he just made all the vampires look like no vampire looked the same in there. You know, it was all like, you know, sexy, grotesque, some mixture of the two. And Super then they had the- silly at times, too. <laughs> yeah, mm. definitely. What was it? They were playing with like the, the guitar was like the uh, hand or the arm or some, something like that at one point. Exactly. That's a, that a good movie. And in the beginning, that gas station scene, it was kind of te- intense. And I love the I love the scene when they're driving away and then they see the bar. And then at, after the, it's like this old abandoned temple of the, I'm like, shit, there's more, you know. So <laughs> that was a great movie. I've never seen the others, never seen the show. And I think part of me. I'm not knocking it, but I think part of me doesn't because I know that Tarantino's not in it and no George Clooney's not in it. So I'm not sure I want to watch it. Yeah, it's like I want to savor this memory of how it was. So um, Brennan, is there anything else that you want to talk about uh with her book, man? I, I want to talk about um the, the chapters real quick. I found it so interesting that uh you, you got 11 chapters in this book, and the first nine of them are about half the book. And then the last two, uh, you just blow up. And I was curious, was that something, you know, was that an intentional storytelling device? Was it, is that just what they begged to be? What happened there? Honestly, I just kind of feel like, you know, what's right with it, you know, cause I'm thinking I'm putting myself, I have all these characters arguing in my head, you know, and as I'm writing, I look like, something that just changed lane. Let's just say this. If you saw me when I was writing a drawing, you'd immediately change lane because I'm like talking (laughs) to myself. I'm arguing with myself. I'm making all these faces like, you know, I'm just like going at it with stuff. In the zone, we call it. In the zone. In the zone. I'm going in the zone. And then I'm like, you know what? He would do this. Fuck it. 
you know, yeah. and, then, and I would get immersed in their personality and their character. And, you know, life throws things at you out of left field sometimes, you know, so you're thinking mm-hmm. you have this plan that everything's going to go steady. And it's like, you know, fuck it. No, we're going to go this way now, you know, <laughs> so you have to roll with the punches. And a lot of the characters, the protagonists in my book, they're rolling with the punches. They only know they know their objective and they know what they want to accomplish. But everything around them is so unstable and so like unpredictable. So mm-hmm. it's like, I have a plan, but I don't know if this is going to work, man. You know, I mean, <laughs> we got to just keep going, whatever it is, duck and roll, you know, jab left, keep going, you know? So. Well, and when I, when I saw like the way it, it shook out, I was like, what's going to happen here? What is this? That's, that's <laughs> very interesting. I'm intrigued. And when you do get to, cause I think chapter 11 kicks off at like, uh, I think it's like I read the ebook. It's seventy-two percent of the book. Um, I'm like, there's there's like a hundred pages left, and it's all in one chapter or something like that. Um, I'm not good with math, but it's it's appropriate. It's it's like this. It's almost this self-contained storyline that you would be pissed off if it got broken up with a chapter. You're like, no, we're not stopping here. You got to keep going. Um, it's just this kind of like bullet train ride to the end that begs to be this, you know, exceedingly long chapter. Um, so, I, I mean, if I ha- I asked you, because I was curious, but if I had to guess, I would just assume that it was like, you hit that kind of race toward the end and it was just go, go, go. And it just happened to, you know, kind of fall, the cards fell that way. Yeah. You know, and it's like, because even though in the, a lot of the stuff that, like his other people go through, like, it's kind of the dynamic between like the mind and the body, because the mind, we set out all of these things that we want for ourselves, you know, our ambitions, our goals, the milestones we have to do to meet it. Like, you know, I could keep going. I could do this. I could do this. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go have this. And it's going to go great. And the body's like, what the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's like all these characters, they want everything to happen, but there's only so much that you can do you know, with what you have. So, and it's because even it sucks that even though, yeah, they're vampires or they're damn fears or they're some type of, or they're old and have experience. But the thing is that they're dealing with creatures that a stay through the heart don't do shit. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, if a bullet don't kill you, if a stake don't kill you, we have a problem, you know? And it sucks that the fact that they are these like, you know, creatures of the night because the suffering that they go through, you know, they feel it. A bullet fucking hurts, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, hot. it's hot, okay? You know, a broken bone is a broken bone, but I am literally this abnormal thing, this supernatural thing. So my pain is prolonged and I can recover from it. But the fact is I recover from it. It's like my end is not in sight. I don't see mm. the end of the tunnel. So I have to keep trudging through this and I don't know what's going to kill me. Or hopefully if something kills me, you know, because some some things in this book wants death, some things doesn't. But because of what they are, they don't fucking know. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that describe humans? What if you live forever? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to. No. Nah. See like, everybody you love die around you. And you, and thing is that live forever, but live forever how? Like the same way every single time, how would that react? You'd have to constantly move around the globe because people start to get suspicious about you. Everyone you love or try to fall in love with, eventually you'll see rot away. That's a horrible existence. Yeah, it is. (laughs) No question. It's that, you know, 
you know, it, it, every in its own way, every vampire story kind of has to, whether it intends to or not, it has to address that question. You know, what is what is your worldview like? What is this character's worldview like? Uh, when they experience life on in such a different way than the average mortal person. Um, I don't have anything more insightful to add, so I'm going to throw it to Patrick. The thing yeah. about Mendelssohn, though, with all this is that, you know, he loves this shit. You know, he loves the uncertainty. He loves the unpredictability. You know, he's a damn madman. So, you know, he doesn't care if it destroys himself in the end or anything else like that. He's like, I want this. And I what I want, I get well, I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> so I want to bring up S.A. Cosby, Sean Cosby, um, where <laughs> I have one specific thing that I want to talk about. And that is how he's the one that introduced us to you. He introduced us to a few other people. Um, I want to hear what you have to say, because there's so many things that we all love. Him. I mean, he's an incredible author. He's a great guy, too. So I want to hear what you have to say about him. Well, first of all, the good thing about Sean Cosby is that, you know, he's real. You know, he's a real, real guy. You know, it's not this like this pretentious air about him. It's a person who worked for what they have and what they've earned in life. And it's something it's a person that you can respect. So, you know, when you read his work, I mean, even the little excerpts that he puts in like on Facebook, you know, they come mm-hmm. from somewhere. It's not superficial. It's stemming from something and that something is very, very real. Mm-hmm. And I met him through Facebook because, you know, I was trying to reach out to, you know, authors and artists like about, hey, you know, can you read my work? Um, please tell me what you think about it. You know, because if you don't reach out to people, how are people going to know your stuff if they don't even know that you exist? They won't. <laughs> It won't. So when I reached out to him, you know, he was very kind. I was shaking because I'm like, fuck, this guy is like a really good author and stuff and all these accolades. Fuck, what am I doing? You look stupid. You know, so that's what I was thinking in my head. And but then he just turned out to be so nice. Like he was so kind, so nice, very approachable. And he was like, yeah, you know, no problem. Please send me your work and, you know, I'll read it. And if I'm able to read it, I'll let you know what I think. And he did. And he said, like, you know, I love your artwork. I love your work. And he wrote a book blurb for me. That book blurb is going to be in the on the back, you know, on the cover and stuff nice. when, when the book comes out. And I was just like, ah! <laughs> as one does. Yeah. So I was just ah, <laughs> everywhere. I would have been a spit take if I was drinking coffee then. <laughs> you know, it was great. And I, and I asked him because I had been trying for years to find, you know, representation or outlets because, you know, I already do everything myself. I do the cover myself. I do the interior artwork myself. I write the book myself. The I It's me and the publishing house. You know, it, there's no middleman. So it's a very fluid communication, but I am a one-stop shop when it comes down to what I do. You know, I want my audience to have the most out of my brain as possible. And if, you know, I have to do it myself, so be it. But I can't do everything by myself forever. So, you know, because I even did the website myself. Hmm. Yeah, you're you're basically Da Vinci. I mean, like a one-stop shop. He did make his own website, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He could have if he wanted to, (laughs) Brennan. Definitely. (laughs) He invented a helicopter 500 years before it was ever created. So, yeah. Websites, whatever. Like, spiral helicopter. Check out my link. (laughs) (laughs) Venmo me some money, bitches. 
more, two more. Sorry, cut you off, but two more quick fun facts. Bone. He was gay and a vegetarian, and I didn't know there were vegetarians back then. I'm, I'm pretty. I must be dumb, but I didn't know. You're poor. You can't afford meat. It's damn easy to be a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'll, I'll shut up. It's fine. It's fine. You're totally fine. But uh, Sean, so he said like, hey, you know, um, I got this friend. His name is Patrick and he's really, really cool. He has an awesome podcast, you know, Deadhead Space. You know, I think you two would like sync up really, really well. Awesome guy to talk to. Want to introduce you. I was like, oh, my God, please. You know, so (laughs) I can't believe you referred to me as a friend. (laughs) Yeah, He was really, really cool. Really, really sweet. And, you know, it's been it's really nice to meet people like him in the literary world because you know any profession you just meet a whole bunch of assholes you know because when people people forget where they came from and as long as people get what they came to get everybody else can go to hell for all they care you know i i won't name who and this is definitely piggybacking off you say uh off of what you just said um and that sounds gossipy i i'm i'm not going to name friends and what people say um on air but uh one of my friends said it perfectly there's a lot of uh actors in this industry by this industry i mean the entertainment industry i mean in general in life uh anyways too um you know i've i've had a really bad time last year and uh there was very few people who gave a fuck and maybe they did but they didn't reach out not a single hey are you okay and um Brennan was one of my solid rocks, um, you know, and uh, at Scares of Care, it was right down the road from Sean. I asked him if he was going, he was going to sign my books. He wasn't feeling super well, but he's always been a nice, he's always been real nice. Sam Gabino Iglesias is another one. And uh, both of their arms together is probably the, the width of a human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's really important to to talk about what you just said, which is never forget your roots, because, um, I mean, I've been there. I'm sure you guys have, too. It doesn't feel great when you help someone out and they either forget about you or they start becoming a uh, a surprised enemy, a surprising enemy. And it's very strange. And uh, it's like, what the fuck? Because my dad always taught me. Don't forget your roots. I'm a middle class guy, you know, uh, work for everything you get. Sean talked about this. He talks about it a lot that I've seen that he was basically busting his ass doing this job and that job. And, and now he's I think now he's working full time. He just quit his retail job a few weeks ago. I think he said on Twitter. But how cool is that? I mean, his first his last two books blew up. No, he earned it, man. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, his storytelling, Casey Lansdale, we talked to her on Joe Lansdale last week, and Casey referred to Razorblade Tears as a mixture of uh, two of her dad's books, uh, Happen Leonard, and um, what was the other one, Brennan? Um, oh, no. Oh, gosh. Remember. Was it The Bottoms? Shit. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, that's all I got to say. Otherwise, I won't show up about Sean. So, Brennan, please save me, as always. Yeah, no, I'll just say he's very, very genuine. And, you know, the 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 hype is real. Those those two books, Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears, are every bit as good as the hype behind them. So, yes. all right. 
So LM, I want to ask you, you have talked a little bit about, you know, when you were talking about what got you into horror, you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. What's your favorite Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh my God. Okay. So Dream Warriors was really, really nice. Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, let's see. I liked Freddy's Revenge because the whole part, like, you know, where he had like a daughter and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Rosie and Donald's in it. Yeah. You know, With Tom Arnold, when they were together, that's so weird. Let's not forget <laughs> that they were married. <laughs> you know, but uh, let's see. Nightmare on Elm Street. I like Nightmare on Elm Street, too. Just like, you know, the scene, like, you know, he's just coming out of the guy's chest and stuff. And like, there's like this inner battle, like, you know, he's still in there in his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, every single Nightmare on Elm Street, like, you know, he always gets beat by a girl. Every single one. Oh, I never even thought of that. Wait, I said Rosie O'Donnell. I meant Roseanne. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. He but does always get beat by a girl. It was like Nancy, Alice, his own daughter. Yeah. You know? So, but it's, it, it was, it's so creative and I love the dark humor that goes into, and Robert England is great. I actually met him at Wizarding World. Like, oh. oh God, I loved it. And he was oh. so great. I'm just like, and I, I don't know how my face must have looked, but I'm just like, hi, I don't have a piece of paper or anything, but I just want to say, I love your work. Sign no. my face. <laughs> sign my face. Please sign my face. You know, technically I had psoriasis at that time, so he could have connected the fucking dots and be easier. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the thing uh, is, <laughs> was he there for a signing or was he just there? Yeah, he was there for a signing and they had like um the whole nightmare, like Freddy Krueger and stuff in the background. Mm. I was like, yes, this is great. And the thing oh. is like, he just snuck up behind me because he was just walking to us and he was like, hey, how are you? I was like, hey, so the show that this is Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exact is it quote. <laughs> is it not fucked up and ironic in the worst of ways that a guy that played a child molester that ended up continuing to haunt children is at like the biggest place for children to have fun it's and so everyone swoons over him including I also met Elvira and I also met Elvira as Ooh, well. Nice, yeah. nice. I hear she's she super is, nice. She is extremely sweet. Yeah, she is very sweet. You know, awesome hair. <laughs> does have nice hair yeah and um but you know so i love that stuff you know i'm a big anime fan i'm a big comic con fan i love you know i mean for but in like i'm more of like a dc comics person than marvel i mean i root for the villains i love the villains so you know oswald you know, Cop- I love them do you like attack on titan i do uh, my friend got me into that a few, when i moved to jersey and ooh, i was like this is fucked up I love it. It's so it fucking creepy. And I saw the first part or the first real, like the live action one. And for those that don't know what Attack on Titan is, it's just, uh, it's adapted from, was it manga? Is that what it's called? Yep, manga. Manga. Uh, it, it's basically a bunch of very, it's giant naked things with that always smile and tear people apart and i remember this one scene i forget the character but she was a adult screaming for mommy and her body got torn apart and i'm like that just broke my head it's it's great but so (laughs) creepy i loved it but uh they they had a and the thing is that it was i don't know it's a dark universe sick you know but um they had this parody one time of attack on titan on youtube and i think ego raptor or somebody did something about it and they made fun of the theme so i was like it's a big lady take a shot of yeager i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) brand do you want to jump to the what are you reading 
Yeah, sure. Start with uh, LM. So what am I reading? LM and OP. <laughs> <laughs> Are you drunk? Uh, <laughs> I know Me? you're not, but yeah. <laughs> Does it help? I don't. I quit, I quit drinking five months ago. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this is. Let me. Let you. For you just let me do the heavy question. lifting, please. <laughs> so ahead, this is in. the uh, portion where we usually ask our guests, "What are you currently reading, or you know, what have you read recently that you'd like to kind of shout out?" My school books. Yes, because <laughs> they've taken up my life. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know whether to cheer for that or not. So. Sorry. It's okay. I got a currently. I have a three point nine two GPA. Oh shit! Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats, seriously. That's awesome. I got my mm. first. I got my the first B out of the my whole semesters was last year, and that was like Hurricane Ida and stuff. I had to, <laughs> yeah, it was some shit. So I'm like, you know what? I'll take that B. I'm good. I'm good with it. Mm. So, but it's just been textbooks, textbooks, and then my manuscript, and then more textbooks, textbooks. So you know, I'm I'm real. I can't wait to graduate so I can get back to actually leisure reading <laughs> enjoying it because it's fucking text jesus you know <laughs> i can't even I can't. imagine oh yeah you're new um can i mention where you are yeah i'm in new orleans okay um i bring that up because i almost forgot one of the most uh i don't hear from him personally I would love to, but Billy Martin, aka Poppy Z Bright, is a New Orleans or New. Uh, how do you say that? New Orleans. New Orleanian. New Orleanian. And uh, I'm wondering if you ever happen to see him, see him at a signing or anything. I haven't. I haven't. And you know, his name is very popular in the city, Poppy. Very, very. I, I bet. But I have not been able to do things, you know, like for the past couple of years, it's been like ever since out of college, it's been work, um, you know, supporting people in my family, um, helping people pay taxes and then, you know, COVID and then debt, debt, more debt and then school. <laughs> I, You know, I've started following his uh patreon because that's like the only place i could find him he's he's one of those writers from um that era the 80s 90s when horror was at its like peak where he is just not he's a recluse it seems him barker robert mccammon to name a few it sucks i wish that they would talk to you know people but i'm sure they got their reasons um yeah i, I would love to pick their brain like I don't know if you know or have listened to any of our episodes with Ronald Kelly, but he's from that era. And it's really interesting to hear the development and evolution of, of what we love to do and want to aspire to where that start, like where that was a few decades ago. Um, I'm not going to hide the whole thing about being a recluse and being a writer. You know, it's kind of, it really gets attractive sometimes a lot. Yeah, it does. You know? It's like, oh shit, no! You're telling me like I don't have to talk to people, and I just have to sit and draw and do things for my family. You know, so it's just. It I have not minded being at home more the last two years. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's like I, I hate the. Mm. It's, it's like I, I like the fact that I am home. It's the reason of why I'm home. You know, it's like yeah. if I want to be home, it's like I want to be home my own accord, not the fact right. that you know all these shutdowns and stuff. But still, sometimes it's like, oh no, damn. 
You plan? You can't? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she is so leaving sad. me scream. I have not stopped working. I work at a job that knock on wood is never going to ever not be a thing. I work at a wastewater treatment plant. People will always shit. Uh, Unless we're replacing that our robots. Stop. That yeah. won't stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, It's 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 been a strange journey because everyone's like, oh, I don't have a job or I'm working from home and I'm like, I can't complain, but it feels like I'm working during the, apo- that'd be a book. I'm working during the apocalypse at a ship plant. <laughs> and not that you asked, but I feel like you may find this to be interesting. So my job, I'm an instrumentation technician. So I'm in charge of like uh, everything that, you know, like measures water flow or whatnot. And you could see, you can, you could see in Atlantic, I'm in Atlantic city and uh, you could see trends um, over the course of years, and you could see the climb and and decl- uh, decline of how popular or how populated the city was. Like in the summertime, it's a lot higher, and over the course of the last ten years, it's been a lot less. But the last two years, it's just you could see it if you trend it over the last five or so years. It's it's weird to say I can kind of see the population of the city and the visitors which is normally a lot by how much people are taking shits <laughs> it's a metric all right it's a fucking weird job brennan what are you reading <laughs> what a transition that is great <laughs> take hey, that michael I'll david wilson <laughs> <laughs> I am reading, uh, I just started uh, Dark Stars. This is coming out from Tor Nightfire at the end of the month. Um, it is edited by John F.D. Taff and has a ton of big names. It's supposed to be kind of like a, almost an homage to one of the big horror anthologies of like the 80s and early 90s, uh, Dark Forces, edited by Kirby McCauley. So I read one story in there so far. It's by Carolyn Kepnes. Um, and it is this it, real interesting twist on the uh, stalker story. Uh, and, and in preparation for those. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Yeah. Netflix should look her up. Um, you. In preparation for our episode next week, I'm also starting uh, Red X by David Demchuk. Right. It's about it takes place in Toronto and it seems like uh, the. Uh, gay community in Toronto, there's people going missing. And just, I mean, uh, you open it up and this is the illustration that greets you. Wow. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, if that's not going to grab your attention, I'm not really sure what is. Yeah. Patrick, how about you? I had to meet myself. Um, So I almost into the audiobook because uh, I'm a slow reader. Oh, what the fuck is that? Huh. I'm going to have to ask him. So anyways, I'm reading Red X as well. All right. And You two uh, are twisties. Yeah. Buddies. I just finished Ron, uh, Ronald Kelly's memoir. Um, it's really good. It's I don't have a cover. He hasn't done a cover reveal yet. So um, I can't say much beyond that. It is, uh, it's about his life. His uh, time with Zebra Books, which... It was thought of as kind of not a great thing to be published by them back then in the 80s, 90s. But now, I mean, I want Zebra books and a lot of other readers do. So it's what was that? 
Oh, that that was a dog barking in the background. I'll mute real quick. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were like hooting and hollering. So <laughs> let's let's jump to uh, where can people follow you, LM? All right. So um, I have my Facebook page, um, LM Labot. Uh, my Twitter is, I have a Twitter, but I have not gone on it at all for years. <laughs> so still, I have LM Labot on Twitter. And there you go. <laughs> um, I have Instagram, also LM Labot. I try to keep everything. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LM Labot. I have my website, also lmlabot.com, uh, all lowercase, all together. And Let's see. Then uh, there's Amazon where my books are. You can get um, it in uh, ebook. You can get it in print. You can also buy it from barnesandnoble.com if you would like. And um, currently right now, it's about 4.8 out of five stars on Amazon, five out of five on Barnes and Nobles, and 4.9 out of five on Goodreads. There you go. Those are some numbers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Brennan, uh, hit us up. What, with... what reviews are there? There it is. So. <laughs> well, me and Brennan are going to add to that soon. Uh, Brennan, uh, <laughs> jump to Silver Share. Now, before bit. I jump to that, before I jump to that, um, now, with where you left us at book one, uh, can you give us any idea on when people can get there? Okay, let's face it. When I can get my hands on book two? Me too. Yeah. So, it's, um, <laughs> no. But anyway, it's... Um, <laughs> but um, i'm planning so like i said with my school schedule right now because i'm okay god i'm at the final leap of my school year so hopefully by the end of this year i will be graduated and out if everything Mm -hmm. goes fingers crossed so please you know but um i'm hoping to get both books out by my birthday august 20th and i pick my birthday because that's a day i can remember so, you know, but August 20th, um, because the first book right now, of course, is out. So that's the original original. And the reason why I'm revamping the first novel. So the novel that I sent you guys was the revamped first one, because after my mentor died, I'm basically I'm, this whole series is going to be tribute to David. You know, without him, this thing would have never, you know, had any kind of body to it, format, nothing. That's amazing. So, yeah, and you know, he was he was my boy. You know mm. what I mean? And yeah. good guy. But uh he was um so that's going to be attributed to him. It's going to come out on August 20th, 2022. And you know, the, I'm going to be posting things like, you know, artwork and stuff like the uh things you've seen like snippets of that, mm. uh different things of that. Um little samples of finished work. Um you know, peek at cover art, stuff like that. Um, I'm hoping, I'm looking right now to try and get a marketing team. I mean, I'm still searching, you know, I'm still searching for marketing teams. I'm still searching for agents representation to try and help me out with this stuff because, you know, I can only go so far as one individual, you know, and my publisher being a small publishing house, they're doing everything that they're doing. I just need that, that push. You know what I mean? So doing all that, but updates will be on the website. It'll be on Facebook. It'll be on Instagram. Again, Twitter, not so much. I just, you know, I can only, I only have time for so many vehicles. <laughs> You're probably yeah, saving yourself that. some headaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, and I will also be, you know, looking for, you know, book reviewers, things like that. Um, you know, people who want to see excerpts, 
those kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to this. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, please keep us in mind when uh, you got the second one all set. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Brennan, take- cause the thing is that the both of the books technically are like both the books are written. They're done. The books are written and done. It's just I'm finishing the illustrations with them. And because I like to have that medical and that realistic approach, like some of the stuff you've seen in the book already, mm-hmm. it takes a while, you know? Yeah. Because each, each of the drawings, like I only have a certain limited amount of art supplies. So I draw everything first, shade it as much as I can, put it in the computer, shade it, print it out again, draw over it again. So every drawing is like 12 to like 16 something layers of artwork to try and give it as much depth in the computer as possible. Yeah. But readers will appreciate that depth. It's not just the, you know, chapter one words chapter two you you get the there's this nice little visual in your head um and of course you know video listeners will know that the artwork is stunning so you know and it's like because i like that like i like you know all word books just as much as the next guy but for me i i love graphic novels i love illustrative novels so like when i'm turning the page and it's mm-hmm. like oh, you know and it's just and, it's, <laughs> and it just pops out it's funny you know i love it so i want to give that to my i want to give the notes to my readers very cool you like Geiger? The, yes. Uh, yeah. I love HR Geiger. I love him. And, uh, you know, the, the alien, the monster, all that stuff that he did. It's, it's fantastic. You know, mm. his vision oh. is fantastic. It's called Dark Stars. Uh, I think there's more words to it, but documentary um, at the end of his life that they did, he's still alive. And my God, that guy's he made this one uh, bar. I mean, like I said, I, I I really don't, I don't drink anymore. I don't plan on to. Again, I'd still want to go to that bar because there's all these fucking <laughs> weird, creepy baby faces around. You just have a seltzer. I don't really know how they'll be after a couple of statues in there. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You might want to stick with water at a place like that. <laughs> if, if they allow smoking. You, know. you want me to top you off? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm already having a hard time. Thank you. <laughs> Brennan, take us away with this new bit and just explain it if you don't mind. <laughs> All right. So as longtime listeners will know, we are part of the Silver Shamrock uh, podcast network. Um, I don't think I got that right. Horrorcast network. Nailed it. Uh, it's definitely something like that. Um, <laughs> so I just want to spotlight a couple upcoming uh, Silver Shamrock releases. So on March 15th, which is a couple days from now and a couple days um, be after, before this episode airs, um, Jeremy Hepler's Sunray Alice is coming out. Uh, it's a coming of age story that deals a little bit with, uh, post-World War II, um, constant, well, World War II concentration camps, but it's kind of billed as a coming of age boy's life meets, uh, the green mile. Um, and Jeremy Hepler is a hell of an author and we'll be having him on next month. Uh, to talk about that one. Uh, this is one I am super excited about. March 29th is Ronald Kelly's Haunt of Southern Fried Fear. Uh, kind of a throwback to the EC Comics, little tale, Tales of the uh, from the Crypt vibe to it. Uh, Ron did a little bit of the artwork inside. Uh, so as you read through those yeah, Southern said, Ron. short stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you get, a, you get a little bit of a picture of the, uh, the old storyteller, 
to kind of go along with it. I'll show one more and place your pre-orders. <laughs> Isn't a skeleton but, with boobs? That's a, it is actually, yeah. I think I have so many questions. How does that physically yeah. happen? <laughs> are they all about the boobs? <laughs> they are. No, 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 don't bother answering that. Grow up, yeah, Brennan. This, this is one I can't wait to dive into because Ron's stuff is just so fun and it looks like this is kind of that uh, uh, almost that Nightmare on Elm Street kind of like dark humor meets, you know, true horror. Uh, like, oh, and then I love that illustration just now. Like, how can we make this better? Titties. <laughs> Boobs on the skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to all life's questions. Uh, and then finally, on uh, April 26th, we've got uh, Tim McGregor's Wasps in the Ice Cream. Uh, oh. Hearts and Strange and Dreadful, uh, Tim McGregor's novel from last year. That was one of my favorites. Uh, so Ooh, he's got. Talk, talk about it. She, Ellen would like that. Talk about that book, man. Please. Okay, so it, I, I'm blanking on the year, um, but it takes place. It's historical horror. Uh, um, it's right around the time of Salem witch trials. So okay, so like late late 1600s. I think it was 1700s. I think it was after yeah. the Salem witch trials. Takes place in Rhode Island and deals with kind of uh, the stranger rides into into town trope, isolated town. Uh, bad stuff starts to happen. Um, and it, 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 it's very quiet horror. It builds and builds and builds. And then when the fire gets stoked, it, everything blows up. Uh, but it's a great novel. And I've heard that this one is even better. Uh, also coming of age and draws comparisons to Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which I am ashamed to say I have never read, but uh, definitely will someday. So Patrick, throw it to you. Um, yeah. So the, I just want to ask Ellen your final thoughts. So first of all, I'm very, very appreciative for you both allowing me to speak with you, much less talk about my work, show my work. You know, this is, it's great. This is a wonderful opportunity. Oh, and, you. you know, for a lot of the reasons, you know, that I like that I went into psychology or that I'm getting, you know, a degree in this field again is because I want people to be able to know that you know anger is real hurt is real pain is real abuse in all forms you know sexual physical verbal is real but there are many many ways that you can manifest everything that has been done to you that can benefit your life in the long run and that can be productive for you for your cognition everything and, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm no different from anybody else. If I can write, someone else can write. If I can draw, someone else can learn how to draw. And if that's something that people are interested in, if that's something that they want to do, fucking go for it, you know, because when you write and when you draw, no one can tell you no, and you can do whatever the hell you want. So I really hope that whether they read my book or whether they read someone else's book, that whatever they're going through they're able to get what's ever in them out as well. That's awesome. Have you ever thought that, uh, and don't get too modest here, because it's 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 very likely that it's already happened. Have you ever thought that there could be a little girl or boy out there that, or, well, not little, because this definitely would, 
maybe, maybe not. I'm going back and forth. Sorry. Have you ever thought that there could be someone reading your book that's younger or even older that you inspire? And how does that make you feel? I mean, it feels great, you know, because I mean, I looked at authors, you know, when I read Shakespeare, when I read all these people, I'm like, shit, if they can write, I can write, I could do this too. So I really hope that, you know, somebody sees my work, somebody sees my artwork and go, you know what, I can do this too. Because you can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More more historic fiction is good too. Um, this all stays in World War, the World War II era. Is that? Well, yeah, because like, you know, the first part of the book actually starts out in like, you know, early parts of London with the whole hysteria experiments and stuff on women and this really, you know, archaic type of, um, you know, science and medical malpractice and stuff. So it goes into like asylums, the different things that would happen, the conditions, and it goes through that small part of that era into World War II as she's chasing down this madman. So the the bulk of the book is going to be focused in World War II because that is just an entire ecosystem of fucking nightmares in that era. So, I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you ain't lying. Brendan, final thoughts, sir. I mean, LM, we want to thank you for your time. Uh, I am so, so very pleased that Sean pointed you uh, in our direction. I, I have really enjoyed the last hour and a half or so. Um, you, you brought a lot to the table to have a great conversation. Um, and we would be thrilled to have you back. Um, come back. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you got an open invitation for when that second book comes out. Um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I got to read it, got to see that great art. Um, and as you so succinctly put it, if you want to write fucking do it (laughs) as the great duvet knox says if you can speak you can write so get to it there you go (laughs) for those that aren't sure who duvet knox is he came with a book called the pussy detective and it is as (laughs) fun it's it's exactly what you think it is yeah there you go parent My final thoughts are this pretty much I'm piggybacking off of Brandon. I appreciate your time. And Sean always recommends really good people. Like so far, there's been you, Rachel Housel Hall, and uh, Heather Levy. Maybe I'm missing someone else, but I throw um, out Vaughn A. Jackson too. I just read his book, Touched by Shadows. Uh, and it was it was a really cool ride. I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, he's just an encyclopedic uh walking encyclopedia. PDA. I cannot talk. Jesus Christ. He's smart. And like I said, for those who are interested in reading it now, still on Amazon. There you go. That's is, that, <laughs> is that the cover for the... Yeah, the original. Oh, okay. That's cool. That's a cover for the original. And back. She's got fire in her eyes. Don't fuck with a pissed off lady. Yeah. And a rifle. So there you go. That's true. Yeah, that's worse than the fire, arguably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so listeners, we urge you to buy this book. It is the Sanguinarian Id. I said that right twice. I'm very proud of myself. Yes. Third time now. Third time. It is a fun book. Uh, you know, I, I would have thought a few years ago that I don't want to read any more vampire books. And then we've read quite a few. And I'm like, I want more vampire books. <laughs> <laughs> so next episode episode 139 will be with author of 
Red X, David Demchuk. We we're excited to talk to that guy, pick his brain. Um, and as for you listeners, you viewers, you have made choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. Yeah.